Today's episode of the 3D Pod is brought to you by Rapid Plus TCT. Rapid Plus TCT is North America's largest and most important additive manufacturing event. See the largest 3D technology, learn real-world additive solutions and network with experts and peers. Save the $75 registration fee by using the promo code 3DPRINT at www.rapid3devent.com. See you there! This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. This is Joris Peels. I'm the editor-in-chief of uh, 3dprint.com. And we're here for another very, this very, very exciting, I think, episode of the 3D Pod. And I'm here, as always, with uh, Maxwell Bogue. Hello. Hey, Max. How are you doing today? I'm good. Yourself, George? Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And, uh, yeah, today we'll name, I think we're both excited to have a, uh, a guest on today, and it's Marie Langer. And uh, Marie, is a, uh, uh, for a couple of months ago, uh, started uh, as the CEO of uh, AOS. And AOS is uh, you know, one of the leading companies in manufacturing systems, 3D printers for, for actual manufacturing uh, and sensoring, and also one of the leading vendors, OEMs, in, in producing metal sensoring uh, systems as well. It's a really large privately ha- held company started by her uh, her father, actually, and she's taking over from her father to, to become the CEO of her business. And the AOS is a, you know, it's a disproportionate influence in the service bureau world, where sensoring technology is a standard, and also disproportionate influence in doing things like guides and uh, dental uh, dental uh, metal implants and, uh, you know, high quality metal parts like the ones you hear that are made for for aerospace and things like that so it's compared to you know a lot lot of the startups people talk about often and a lot of the publicly traded companies either entering the business or in the business ales is a real stalwart company celebrating 30 years in the business and has a huge influence and uh so it's it's great to to have marie here today Uh, welcome on the show marie yeah thank you very much i'm I'm really glad that you're having me and we're having this conversation today so marie like um you know, you've been taking out you've, uh, for a couple of months now. You've uh, been the CEO of AOS, and yeah, so what's your vision for the company? Yeah, so so I want EOS to lead the world in making industrial 3D printing a sustainable mainstream manufacturing process, and um, that is our overall goal, and uh, that's what we do every day. So for us, it's of course very important to stay innovation leader. Um, to really provide our our customers with competitive advantages through our rapid development and the commercialization of uh, the advanced AM technologies we do have. Um, industrial grade is something really important to us to have factory ready systems so our customers can stay with and really produce serial parts. And we have some great examples uh, for that already. And then, of course, uh, a very important topic for me is making sure that we position our additive manufacturing processes as responsible manufacturing solutions because uh, we see already today that EOS technology is uh, contributing quite substantially to uh, uh, to sustainability in the world and offers our customers a great option there. Um, it's all about bionic designs, designing like nature, um, leveraging uh, resource efficiencies, lightweight components, um, extended product life. We 
we create options for a complete uh, flexi flexibility in supply chains and distributed manufacturing, um, inventory based production. So these are the topics and the, the benefits I see in, in our technology and the way we're working at EOS. And that's what uh, my vision is going forward to make this mainstream. Do you think that the this on-demand this on-demand technology like producing just in time let's say do you think that's a real possibility do you think that's a possibility for for many companies or just niche application no i think it's a possibility for many for many companies of course what we see is right now that in industries like aerospace or medical they're they're picking up the technology much more easily because cost is not a uh, not the biggest issue in the aerospace um, area. Their material and weight savings um, are very contributional. Um, and, of course, in the medical field, the whole, whole options of customization are so important that we, of course, see a lot of growth there. But we also start to dig into a lot of different um, industries as well. And the more um, uh, robust our systems will get, the more industrial ready our systems will get, the more we will go into the mainstream, I'm sure of that. Because in a previous podcast, um, we talked about like, <clears throat> you know, the differences between going mainstream for like, you know, millions of parts, think like relatively low value parts, uh, mass, mass consumption goods, and also just maybe just scaling, but then only for these regulated protected industries. Uh, like orthopedics or, or dental. Do you, do you think we, you know, do you think 3D printing could do both of those things or do we have to choose or, or? So I think we have to have to think about how to smartly develop the market. And um, of course we're a business, so we also want to make money with that and finance this. So um, I think it makes, makes sense at first to really concentrate on the industries where the benefits today can be leveraged the most. And, um, but then taking it step by step further, and also when we when we think about the whole digital value chain, um, and uh, that we have uh, there, everything is digital right now, and our our technology is is a great uh, digital option as well for a lot of partners. So you can even design the part um, uh, through additive manufacturing. Then even if it's still cheaper. Do the do do the high production, the serial production conventionally, but then um, making sure that you we use inventory and spare part production. You do that in a smart way uh, through additive manufacturing again. So I think there are even ways of combining that and step by step through better combining that and really educating everyone in the field and the industry how to use the technology the best. I'm sure that we will enter. Uh, uh, much more, much more uh, possibilities, and, and will leverage this much better than we do now. But it will be a step-by-step -step approach. I'm curious on your current business. You're you're focused on making the machines and then selling them to external parties, or are you focused on making the machines and then using them to create the parts and then selling the parts to external parties? So um, we at EOS, we're we're um, uh, producing uh, machines, or actually our core know-how is the process, of course, mm -hmm. um, um, within the machines. But uh, with partners together, we manufacture the machines and sell them. We also, of course, sell all the materials and services. And um, but in the larger group of, of of companies that we own as a family, we of course also have have. Um, uh, how do you say it, uh, contact to service providers and, and really part uh, production plans where we also can learn together 
and um, make sure that then this knowledge uh, goes into our machines to make sure that we can produce better parts and that in the end, we also can, through working in this ecosystem together, we can provide the customer with the end-to-end solution. So there are customers always who want to who wanna print their parts themselves and who also um, are quite eager, eager to, to learn themselves how to use the technology and uh, we are a partner in, in, in driving this further with them. And then, of course, there are also partners who don't want to produce their parts. And uh, for that, we're working with our network of customers and also network uh, within our group to leverage this in the best way and give give uh, yeah give every customer what he wants and what he needs. But in the end, it's a solution business. So additive manufacturing, it's not a machine business. It's not a material business. In the end, it's a solution business. So we, we want to be able to provide the whole solution um, um, to our customers. And for that, we, we're working together with, uh, with external and internal partners. And yeah, like if, you're, if you say it's a solution business, I mean, um, every big OEM is talking to us about end-to-end solutions. And, uh, mm-hmm. But they have very, very different ways of implementing that. I mean, I think, uh, you know, do you have a, is there a path to that, do you think? Because we have the, you know, just first of all, you can do everything yourselves. Or you could develop an mm-hmm. ecosystem around your products. Uh, you yeah. could have one or two big partners. I mean, how do you see this going forward? So actually, we started started working in an ecosystem since five years already. My dad, he, he very early on realized that, that we need to look much more into solutions. So we actually created uh, within US, within the group, uh, US group, we, we created, for example, a customized machines unit where we take standard machines from EOS and customize them to customers' need. We do that especially in the medical and in the aerospace industry right now. Um, we also have a uh, sister company. It's a venturing arm where they invest in complementary and disruptive technology. It can be in materials, hardware, or software, uh, where, we, where we partner together also post-processing, um, and then, of course, we also work together with big partners like Siemens and, and external customers of ours uh, to leverage the potential the best. So, so we, we created uh, an ecosystem already. And, um, yeah, and, but we also saw that doing everything in one company, you referred to that, um, doesn't really necessarily make sense because sometimes okay. you need some different cultures, you know, like a startup culture is different than, um, than, um, than a bigger company who who working uh, on, on more standardization of systems, for example, and these kind of things. So you need kind of also different atmospheres and different uh, frameworks for, for employees to, to thrive and do their job the best way. So uh, we are uh, strongly believers of smaller entities that are more agile, but I'm also believing in making sure that it's interconnected in the right way. So you kind of need to have like a unifying vision and a unifying mission where you wanna wanna go to, and and also the purpose. I think that you that you all can relate to is very very important, and that's something I'm I'm working strongly on right now. I think it's interesting, like that you guys are really going to like at a point where you're kind of killing your darlings or making yourself kind of obsolete, and you're not afraid to do that. In the sense that, mm-hmm. that a lot of people stick to one machine architecture or one path to market, one go-to-market. And I think you guys aren't doing it. I mean, you invested in a small, uh, making desktop uh, sintering equipment company. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have uh, the ALSP 110 model, which is these kinds of models, which are kind of like a machine in a box, kind of. And you have much more elaborate, like P500s, 
which are have a lot more equipment and recycling and all that on it. And you also have the US Integra, which is a completely different machine architecture, uh, which can be expanded upon. Uh, so okay. I think I think the interesting thing about what you guys are doing is that you're really saying, no, there's many ways to roam, kind of. Or is that is that would you characterize it as that as well, or? Yeah, I think like, like so, so, so of course we 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 are entrepreneurs in our hearts, and entrepreneurs are uh, from this one point of view. Uh, uh, we, we we're looking up to, like in an opportunistic way at the world, so where we see potentials, we try to leverage that. So it it, it kind of of course is. It's more like an organic way of growing, an organic way of making sure to, to, to drive our customers and, and, and bring them success. And um, yeah, but I think they're, 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 uh, we need to, to be flexible and offer different solutions because our customers are not all the same. And, and so for that, I think it's great to have a portfolio that is um, enabling us to, to provide the customer with the right solution, whatever that means. And we can combine that in a different way. And just like, you know, at the moment, you guys are 100% family-owned, right? Uh, you'd have yeah. built a business. There were other external shareholders, but uh, we ended up, I think, you own 100% of the business, if I'm not mistaken, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, or, or something uh, similar to that. Um, and and is, does that mean you have a different outlook? Do you have a responsibility not like quarter to quarter, but more like, you know, a decade from now? Is, is that Does it really change your thinking, do you think? So I think in general, um, um, owning a company gives you a lot of freedom. Um, of course, it also gives you a responsibility to, in the end, uh, make sure that that you, you, you drive it forward in, in the right way possible. And so, so for us, there was always a strategy to partner for scale. So um, creating this ecosystem not only with internal partners, but also with uh, in the internal network, but also with ex- external partners and, and, and being very smart in partnering, I think um, is something that, that, that uh, yeah, will, will push us forward in the, in the next years much more even. And, um, yeah, I think as a in, a in a family business also culture and, and employees are very important. You know, it's like values are very important. And I think that that's something that, that we can leverage a lot because that also helps us to, to attract t- talents and to, yeah, make sure that we, that we create a culture that is not driven by, by monthly growth or quarterly growth, but making sure that we, that we grow the company in a sustainable way and, um, yeah, to, to be more strategic in some yeah. decisions. So, so I see that as a, as a huge benefit. It doesn't mean that it always needs like it, it doesn't mean that that you cannot have partners with whom you can do it like this. But we always uh, prefer to be as as independent as possible. <laughs> so that was mm-hmm. always my dad's strategy, and it, it took us mm-hmm. very far. You know, as independent as possible, it implies that you you know you're not thinking about going public, or you're not thinking about something like no, that. No, no. No, we okay, will not good. go public. I don't. I don't see that coming. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's a very hard. Uh, I like the answer here. <laughs> I, so, so never say never, but but uh, I think there there there's smarter ways to do that right now from our perspective. And and so your yeah your dad comes up a lot. I mean I think uh, your father I've always considered together with Freed. I think they both of them one of the two is the smartest guy in three D printing, and I'm not intelligent enough to figure out which one. Right. Uh, so, They're so talents, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So both of them are, are brilliant individuals. I only got to speak to your dad like once or twice. And I think the the only thing I do know that that he's yeah he's brilliant uh, and also very uh, you know he's 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 not a, an easy guy to work for I think or work with 
Uh, at the same time, also, like, there's this guntigheid in EOS, kind of this, this, this dependability in the company. And you see that a lot of people have been uh, working the company for 10 years, 12 years, 15 years. Okay. You know, are there really key lessons from him that you're really applying and you're really going to take forward um, in, yes, in terms of culture? Yeah, of course, of course. So, so I and I actually have to have to tell you that that of course, like everyone has uh, has strengths and, and and weaknesses. But for me, my my dad is is a very great partner to work with because he gives a lot of freedom. He 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 can be very inspirational, and um, he he has a great I think strategy and vision, um, a very analytic mind. And, and genius mind, and, and that for me is very inspirational to work together with him. And um, yeah, so so I, I I definitely something that I learned from him was to to always kind of uh, make sure that you leverage the potential you have in a company the best. So as you refer to, there are a lot of people who work for like 10, 20, even sometimes. 30 years for him in kind of different entities like he sometimes even created small companies because he kind of realized that hey these kind of people they maybe can thrive more in, in a smaller environment and can be more innovative and um, always made sure to kind of like keep the talents we have and make it work in an environment that everyone can can contribute and and yeah. I think that's something that that is like from a leadership style is something really smart to do. And um, I'm, I'm really happy that I could observe a little bit how he was doing that. And, and I think that's something I, I really want to keep in mind also um, to, to always think about how to develop, develop the organization further so everyone can thrive and we really can use the potential in the organization. And, and the other thing is always like being open. Like there's, I, th I, I don't know a lot of people who are so open towards change, like my dad. So even if he's getting older and older, of course, he's so flexible in his mind and so open towards innovative ideas and so, uh, so, so excited about these options that come with that, that uh, like normally the younger people are the ones who would recommend like cool new books or these kind of things to, to their parents. But sometimes with my dad, it's the other way around. I think also one thing I was told when we started working with Ailes, like it was for me, it was ten, uh, more than ten years ago or something, and and it was told that the, the the story was always that your dad had the worst car in the Ailes parking lot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they drove like a C match or something. I don't know, and I still don't know if that's true or not. But it's always been that the Ailes does spend money on stands. For example, you have really big stands and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but it, there is a kind of inherent frugality or spending money. You know, the, the idea that you have money only once to spend or something like that. You know, I, I, I think that, that um, and that's what I learned from my dad. He always told me, you know, Marie, like, even if you're, like, wealthy and, and you you can afford to do things, you always have to 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 live in a way that you can, can be happy without it. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, and I think that was always kind of his, his mentality. So I wouldn't say that he's driving the worst car, but it was <laughs> okay. just like it, it's kind of like a lifestyle where, 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 and also my brother and me we were influenced uh, by that to, to mm -hmm. always like think about like reasonable about spending things, and of course in a company we grew a lot, we we made a lot of money. Of course we we also positioned us uh, uh, in the, in the field, and um, uh, that means that we were of course also, uh, um, yeah. Uh, making sure that, that 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 we provide our employees with the right 
framework, the right working atmosphere, and these kind of things, and it's really important to us. Um, yeah, but so I don't know if I asked your question, uh, if I answered your question oh, now, actually, but that came yes. to my mind when you were just right now, when I when I listened to you. Yeah, and your brother is also involved in the business, right? He's doing the venturing part of it, right? Yes, my brother is doing the venturing. Yes, he's, he's very deep in the, in the technology, so he's a great consultant for myself in that area. Okay. And it was it difficult to decide who would do what? Did you, uh, did you, did you arm wrestle over this? Or no, not at all. Actually, I think it came quite naturally. So, so we are like from personalities, we are quite complementary. So um, it kind of was a natural process. Where at this one moment in time, I, I I talked to him and I told him, "Hey, I really would like to do this job. What do you think?" And he, he was really supportive. He said, "Like, oh yeah, great, let's do it." Like it's really good, and so we we talk every week. We're very we're very connected and close uh, in business, and share a lot. Um, and so yeah, so it, it was a natural process. We worked with the coach for for several years, also together, uh, figuring out the succession planning with my parents. And so of course there was support, but but in the end, um, it it kind of just yeah, it was a flow kind of. So so, so the best way it can happen actually. What did you find to be the most challenging uh, aspect of of joining this industry? The most challenging aspect? So I think, uh, first of all, there are like a lot of, like, a lot of companies and startups are entering the scene, you know, so it's getting more and more and more um, every year. So, so I think it's, uh, it's maybe not challenging, but I think it's interesting to, to really stay on top of that and, and, and making sure that you understand the connections and who, who are the like strategic players you should work with and, and being smart about that, I think, um, and taking the right decisions there. Otherwise, yeah, I think that the challenge is also that we are in an emerging market. So, so the technology is still quite young. There's a lot of uh, potential still to, to unleash. And, of course, that, that is kind of, uh, uh, yeah, um, uh, like hard work. So I wouldn't say it's a big challenge because I'm sure that we can make it and that, that we will drive this, this, um, this uh, industry and, and this technology further and making mainstream. But, but of course, we have a lot of daily challenges in really making sure that our customers are successful with our technology. And the competitors, they're, they're growing, so, so it's fun to kind of get into the race with them. Have you had challenges with new clients and explaining to them the concept of you know, 3D printing or 3D technology yes. in this way? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, of course. So, so I think you refer to the fact that there's a lot of um, a lot of companies still don't know how to use technology. So, so we also a few years. That's why we we founded Editive Minds, that's our consultancy group, um, and they are working very closely with customers to actually identify how they can use our technology in the best way, what kind of parts they can produce, and really making sure that they learn how to design um, um, in AM. To, to really uh, leverage the potential the best. So, so that is something that, that yeah, where we, where we invest in a lot and making sure that we kind of educate the market in the best way possible. And for that, of course, everyone else is helping that is entering the scene. So, so we kind of do that together with our competitors, <laughs> but with our neighbors. Once, once a, a partner of ours calls them neighbors, I think that's a nicer name, actually. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. 
No, so I think I think uh, if we look at this, I mean, I think if we're looking at making it cheaper and scale, there's a couple of things that you know. One is designed for additive manufacturing. The other thing I think is there's, there's very little work being done is the actual the optimization of, of mm -hmm. the frat manufacturing. And where I, uh, you know, like the idea, for example, trying to figure out, you know, uh, I, I myself believe a lot in profit velocity. The idea of, of taking a machine and saying how much it makes per minute and using that to calculate mm -hmm. the value of parts. But there's different ways of doing that, volume in the part, or, or other people just calculate the ideal part. And then, you know, the echo, actual economics and optimizing, you know, build packing and things like that, and nesting, is also, I think, I think mm -hmm. also not understood. And I also don't think that, that it lives on the sea level yet. I mean, everybody thinks it's interesting. Uh, 3D printing is the future. But I, it, it doesn't, like, yeah. the things I used to, when I was a consultant, I used to really try to get, like, the financial people to believe, is to say, oh, you've got billions of dollars in stock. And just stuff sitting around in, uh, railroad yards and, yeah, and, and, yeah, and yeah. spare parts warehouses. If you could just tell me how much that is, then I can tell you that you can save a little bit of that, and that will will, will warrant any investment. Yes, of course. So I think this this whole uh, inventory based reduction that you were talking about, I think, is a huge potential. And I think for that, we really need to educate the customers. Um, uh, through this whole digital value chain, like where's the benefit in every kind of step of AM and, and how can they leverage that? And then, of course, also making sure that not only the part quality is a better one, that, that the, the, the machines meet industrial uh, great criteria, but also that we're making sure to, to kind of use low-cost materials to create high-performance parts. And we have already examples with partners of uh, like GKN where we actually can make that in the metal field. And so also driving the, the material cost um, down. And I think that that's also a very, very important um, topic. And yeah, we, we also realize that we, are, we, are, we have to talk much more to sea levels to really uh, make them understand the strategic influences of this technology. And, and you know, it's kind of... Um, it, it's kind of really connected with the whole digitalization of organizations. And you, the U.S. is a little bit uh, faster in that. So that's why we experience uh, much more growth in the U.S. right now than, than we do in Europe. But Europe is also catching up the next year, I'm sure. Who, who is your biggest market? Like what, not only what industry, oh, yeah. but what, what country? Aerospace. Okay, ah, so so I'm uh, sorry. Industry is uh, so aerospace. And then, <laughs> yeah, market-wise, it, it's the U.S. We're growing 30% a year since five years. Oh, so wow. it's immense growth. That's, yeah. that's good growth. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So if we, if we look at the, the, this thing, you do, one thing, I mean, I think the digitization of supply chain and end solutions, like everyone believes in it, aerospace, you said, it's kind of a, a, a everyone believes in that as well. But you did mention that, that, that you know, materials cost was, was, was one of the things that the, the that is an issue. And, and traditionally, AOS, AOS is seen as a company that is keeping this material cost artificially high because <laughs> it's, it's, it's polyamide powder. You pay, you know, say, 65 to 95 a kilo for it. You throw away about half of it. Um, and then, uh, so effectively, the price of this polyamide is, is very high. Uh, is that something you want to change? Or do you think it's going to happen when you unlock more of your machines? Or are you going to unlock certain types of machines, like the Integra? Do you have a path for that? Or? So, of course, we're looking into several ways how to how to deal with that. And, and we, we, we know that we only will, will push this industry when we lower, uh, uh, lower the, the cost per part. And material is a huge 
has a huge effect on that. So, of course, we're, we're working much more with uh, partners that are able to, to offer low-cost materials. Right now, the part quality is kind of the, the thing that we need to make sure that we can reach it. And we have mm-hmm. some great uh, examples for that. Of course, uh, we also do powder recycling in, in Germany already, and we also want to want to offer that to other customers around the world so to make sure that we also um, um, give opportunities uh, there um, to, to uh, reduce costs. And we also, of course, invest in uh, biodegradable materials and others uh, which need substantial less energy during the powder production process in general. So, so we do a lot in that area and uh, because we know that this will unlock the, the potential much more. You may not realize if you have like a, let's say, a productive machine, really highly productive environment, uh, multiple shifts, that kind of thing, um, then you, one industrial machine, you may be using, let's say, a one metric ton of powder a month, if you, and then you may be throwing away 300 to 500 kilos, uh, maybe per month, depending on depending on the, the parts you use in pa- lots of different uh, things, and the material as well. Yeah, if it's peak, it's a little higher, huh? Uh, but I'm um, sorry, it depends on what the material is. But um, uh, so, so I think, you know, if we're looking at that, that's that's actually a considerable thing. And I, the thing I've, I've actually tested this, I've, I've done a project with this, and I don't understand why you don't just take the powder you throw away, the, the PA powder, and then turn it into filament, and then sell it to the desktop 3D printer yes. people. And that's what we actually look into right now, so exactly yeah. these kind of things. How can we leverage that better? Um, because, yes. Yeah. That, that, uh, so as sustainability is really important to me, I'm not really happy with this fact. But of course, also, uh, we have to say that when we combine it with conventional manufacturing, mm-hmm. we, through this uh, step-by-step approach of adding materials instead of removing material, we also can, in, in certain uh, applications, can, can, can see much more potential in the additive. Uh, way of manufacturing. So so we have benefits there, but we have to push it much more further to really grow AF in the in the future and make it mainstream. Yes. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people always assume like, oh we don't cut away material. I like the interesting idea that you say move material, right? Um, but a lot mm-hmm. of people always can assume that AM was per definition more sustainable than regular manufacturing. So we didn't have to research it and we definitely shouldn't, you know, kind of make it more sustainable still. Do you think it really yes. be much more leadership in this? And I definitely think so, because I don't even think that we started to leverage the potential there. I think we know all where the potential lies, but we sometimes don't really have the data to 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 really decide on how to how to move this forward. I also appointed a head of sustainability at EOS now, who's looking into that with our teams much more. And also when we when we're starting to to build factories for our customers, so so we also want to make sure that that we make the factories as sustainable as possible. And we have a digital team um, at EOS who's also starting to collect data about that. So so I think um, we have the great benefit with the, all the digital tools we have today to really be able to collect all this data and do the analysis and then making sure that we invest in the right things to really push it in a more sustainable way. I know that AF has already sustainable impact in some areas, but I want to leverage that much, much more. That, that's, that's a very important topic for me. And that was actually also a condition I gave my dad because I told him I, I will only step in if you let me do that. And then he was like, yeah, that's great, Marie. Please do it. I, I want to see that from you. 
And and is this because uh, sometimes some people look at sustainability as kind of like a nice cuddly thing to do, or you could look at it as kind of a way to get real brand value, or you could look at it as a way to outcompete other companies. What, what for you is the is, is the mix here, or how do you think of, uh, of, of sustainability? I think we only will succeed if we do the third one. So we we will have to make sure that we connect it with the actual business we do. And that we really create a competitive advantage for our customers through that, because otherwise we will not be able to scale it. So otherwise it will only be a marketing campaign. And um, for me, it's not about marketing. For me, it's not about positioning just to talk about it. For me, it's, it's about really realizing the potentials we have there in the area of sustainability in the best way possible and push this forward. So we can really create a green way of manufacturing a responsible way of manufacturing here. And if we uh, if we look at that, I mean, I think, interestingly, if we look at a responsible way of manufacturing, stereolithography with its resins and stuff doesn't really seem like a really attractive option, at least, you know, maybe yeah. for small parts, right? Uh, but because these yeah. resins, because there are problems with them and because of the, their thermoset, and they can't be recycled. I mean, that doesn't really look like a way to make large scale, like millions of things. I mean, maybe hearing aids, but not like, you know, car parts, you know, even if the, the, the technology could happen. But if we look at the FDM, which is a technology that a lot of people didn't consider a manufacturing technology, it is kind of burrowing its way into manufacturing. And there's hundreds of vendors, this crazy FDM space where the material cost is low, and it is kind of really easy to recycle these materials and reuse them uh, six or seven cycles. Um, so, and then we have sintering. Uh, you know, do you really think, like, uh, up until now, everyone has had their own little technology silo and had their own little area. You know, SLA is for hearing aids and for molds and all this. SLS is for, for, for service bureaus and, and, and direct part. You know, do you think there's convergence in these technologies? Or do you think that, that it'll be different technologies for different applications? I'm 100% sure that there will be different technologies for different applications. And I, that's also exactly the reason why we not only invest in yeah, SLS technologies, but also making sure that we that we are a little bit broader in in the approach. Um, and uh, yeah, we we also I think we even saw that has now nothing to do immediately with sustainability. But that, for example, the reason why my dad for a very long time didn't believe in stereological stereolog. You know what I'm talking about? Was it clear because it was not possible to to create functional parts with it? But now it's possible because it was just like a matter of time. So, so I think we also need to be very smart of um, not thinking that okay, what we're doing now will be always uh, the best option. Uh, we we yeah. So so for me, it's more coming from the application and understanding and deciding what kind of applications do we want to drive forward and what kind of technology do we use for that. And I think that should be the approach, coming from the solution, not coming from the technology. And normally you start with coming from the technology and now we will start to shift coming coming more from, from the application and learning learning more and more of what, what, the, what the possibilities are there. But you would attribute that mainly to the technology having matured and therefore it's less about technology and more about solution-based? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so, so I think it will go into that direction. Of course, we have to do our homework still when it comes right. to, to technology, <laughs> to the maturity of our technology. But um, I believe that that we have to come from the from the application 
can decide what kind of uh, technology is the best fit for that. And we as a group will work towards that, that we can offer the best solution to our customers. And that can also mean that we're not pushing only one technology. Oh, that's interesting because uh, if we look at like some of the things like, I think... Uh, but I'm now, sorry, will... sorry to interrupt, but, but just just to, to, to make sure. So I'm now, of course, discussing long-term so that it will not happen uh, like in the next three months. Right. So we all know that. So I just wanted to make sure that that the audience understands it, understands it in the right way. Okay. I, I, was really hoping for a uh, I was hoping for a $200, uh, $200 AOS FDM machine for my desktop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that will not happen. That will not happen. But there will be parts. Okay. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think the interesting thing is, I think if we look at the really successful cases, the hearing aids, uh, the dental stuff, the dental the stuff came from, I think it came from Bago or Gabo or those guys and the other, uh, uh, there's two German companies that really pioneered the dental bridges and the dental uh, metal fabrication. The, on the, the hearing aids came from Siemens and, 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 uh, and the American firm as well. Uh, yeah, and, and if we look at the, my favorite case is always this, uh, uh, this Avio Aero where they went to Arkham and said, you know, we're going to make turbine blades with your machine. And Arkham didn't even have a machine for it. and didn't even have like any kind of, uh, you know, they, they weren't even set up for it. They had like a page on their website about, uh, you know, aviation, but that was about it. You know, they were focused completely on, on, um, uh, on medical. Um, you know, I think, I think a lot of things, if you look at the really, ex the really good cases that have made tens of millions of parts, all of them have come from the customer already. So what are you guys doing as a company to, to kind of get customers to talk to you and to find out what these applications are? Yeah, so, so I think I, I mentioned that before we have this Additive Mind consultancy group that are they're really uh, connecting very very closely with potential customers to to uh, to, to understand their that the potential together with them and then of course we we like do normal sales activities we we uh, create uh, expert networks we we start of course to to use much more social selling so so but but i think like you're not interested in our way how we generate leads but but i think in the end it's more about making sure that we yeah that we position the right things at the market that we position ourselves at the right events and, 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 and be a part of the, the right communities. Of course, C-level discussions and also myself, I'm discussing a lot with family, other family businesses, other, other uh, CEO and owners of companies to really take this to a strategic level. And um, yeah, like this, we will, we will push it forward. And actually, it's really helping that a lot of competitors and big ones entered the field because uh, it, 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 it is kind of like opening the scene a little bit more. And for me now, it's very helpful that I'm a woman because it's kind of like a special thing, apparently, <laughs> as I learned. And so I get invited a lot to different to, to, yeah. to different communities. And uh, yeah. yeah, so I don't know if I answered your question right now. Maybe it was a little bit too simple, but, but yeah, that came to my mind. No, I think it's, it's, it's interesting to where to go. I, I've done consultancy for a couple of years, and, and, and the problem always is, is if, if the CEO reads our article in Harvard Business Review and comes up with this, then they have this big strategic project where nobody wants to fail, and they, buy, they start making doorstops, you know? They do all these really cool things, but they don't go anywhere. And, but whereas if a bottom-up, some engineer on the floor has a problem, and they have a part that doesn't work, and then they come to 3D printing, I see it, you know, 
it's much more a problem initially. It takes much longer, but that leads to more, you know, success in the long run. And, and so, so to me, it was just like, you know, how do you find these people? That was just like, that's always been my problem as well. <laughs> yeah. So I think the really, really uh, a very successful step that we did in, in, in developing markets and also developing customers were to uh, create innovation centers together with them. So having innovation centers, like we have one in, in Stuttgart, uh, for example, here in Germany, we created uh, some at our customer sites and uh, together with our customer where people can really go and uh, try out the, the, the technology, kind of like play around with it. So it's not uh, about producing this part in theory. It's more about like, hey, let's find out how, what we can do with this technology. And we found out that like this, you kind of can 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 create a culture in the organization where the people naturally more go into this kind of field that, that feel um, um, interested. And uh, then you can start to leverage the potential. And normally to create this kind of innovation centers, you need C-level support. So it's kind of like a two-way street in making sure how to engage like like the right employees and, and, and giving like a space for them and an open stage for them to use the technology. And that's something that that, that we did a few times already and that's very successful actually. Is that, is that also key? This culture keeps coming up when talking to you and, and this kind of thing, is that also key to maintaining innovation leadership? Because you didn't mention that as a key thing, but how are you going to accomplish that? Yes. Keep on the cutting edge. Yeah, so, so I think first of all, it's of course uh, about to, to make sure that we have a culture in the company where innovation and trying out new things and not being afraid of change is kind of like a daily thing. So, so we, we start to work a lot in, in smaller teams um, and, and making sure to, to, to create like an agile way of working together. And um, yeah, then of course we have some, some great experts, like, like very, uh, that are, they were working since like 10, 20 years for US, who have a lot of, uh, who, who built like a, a lot of great machines that, that are paying our bills today. And, and we actually give them the space to really try out new things. So I think uh, being an innovation leader is, of course, also uh, making sure that we that we give our employees the opportunity, our engineers the opportunity, opportunity to really always try to push, push to the limits and, and go beyond, and creating a network also with our startups that can leverage this uh, much better. So these are the things that we're doing. We're working together with a great ecosystem of startups, uh, making sure that, that we have a lot of different inputs, but of course also giving giving space to our um, innovators in the company to really try out new things and, um, yeah, doing, like, iterations, kind of, like, uh, um, um, making sure that, that, that they, they have the right feedback and are very customer-centric, actually, working very close with customers together um, to, to find out what they really mean, uh, need and, and, and what kind of innovations we need to drive internally that, that we can make our customers even more successful. All right. Um, so, Marie, thank you so much for your time. I think I think that that sums it up quite uh, nicely for, for for me at least. I don't know if uh, you're curious about something else uh, there, Max. No, this is quite thorough. It's been actually a pleasure talking to you and uh, getting this uh, side view of it, so to speak. So, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. I I, I hope to to see you then at the rapid, right? Will you be there? Yeah. Or, yep. Yeah, no, nice. Totally, okay. Yes, we're perfect. We're totally going to go so, rapid. We're totally going to end up nice, uh, hanging out with everyone there. Yeah, 
<laughs> cool. <laughs> then, then we can then we can catch up there. And yeah, thank you for being that curious and asking me all the questions. It's always fun for me to to share my my ideas and, and wishes and what we do right now. So thank you very much. Uh, thank you so much for for joining us, Marine. Thank you. Thank uh, you, everyone, uh, so much uh, for. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for uh, listening to the 3D pod. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode, and uh, uh, tune in next time. Uh, this is Joris Peels and Max Vogue and also Marie Langer. Thank you very much. Thank you, and don't forget to like and subscribe. You've been listening to the 3D pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.